Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions, and in this episode, Maxine Mackey of Label Sessions talks to Sharon Harris. Sharon has over 20 years of experience as a leader and making an impact in marketing and digital media. She's recently launched her own collective and prized that serving as a CMO at Essential Digital Commerce and Jellyfish, working with brands like Uber, eBay, Disney, Spotify, and many others. Over to Sharon and Maxine. Sharon, welcome to um, Label Sessions. We're thrilled to have you on the podcast today. And we we know you as a kind of a pioneering marketing executive and someone who knows how to navigate change in general in the marketing world, but also in complex kind of a corporate environments. Could you please introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience and give us a sense of your leadership journey, please? Oh, certainly. Well, first of all, thank you for having me uh, on the podcast. It's really exciting. Um, when I think about my leadership journey, I think it's really always been about not only embracing change, but really being open to disruption. You know, when we look at our industry in marketing, technology, finance, retail, there has been tremendous disruption. And for me, at the tail end of every disruption is a new opportunity. So I've always approached my career and my leadership style around how do you optimize that opportunity? How are you open to it? How are you asking the right questions? And ultimately, how are you preparing yourself for it? Because change is natural. It happens all the time in everything that we do from our professional lives to our personal lives. But it's all about how receptive and open you are to it and how you're able to take that change and turn it really into an opportunity for your own growth uh, to drive revenue for your company, but also just personal development. Um, I really like to lead with empathy. I'm a big believer in three things in business, people, purpose, and profit. Um, and at the core, that's how business runs. The biggest asset that any business has is its people. And you have to really understand how to help people feel empowered to do their best work, to feel appreciated, also to really push them to enhance their own skills. I can't make you a better employee. What I can do, however, is give you the tools, the platform, and the opportunity to grow. When it comes to purpose, you know, every business will tell you they have a purpose. How many of them actually walk the walk when they say that they will? A lot of people say a lot of great things, but True purpose is something that you're actually doing on a consistent basis. Um, it's about, you know, the values that you share, how you display those values, and ultimately, do you operate within those values? And that's really important. And I think in today's climate, it's more important when you look at, you know, Gen Z and the alpha generation, it's very much about what is that purpose? I'm not just here to earn a paycheck, but I really want to be doing something that has impact that may be driving some greater good or is somehow and in some way delivering something that will be beneficial to a consumer. Maybe it delights them. Maybe it surprises them. Maybe it's just improving their productivity. But that's really important. Uh, and for a leader, it's always been about the people, the purpose, and the profit. Because without the profit, you don't have these businesses. Uh, it's all about how are you successfully able to drive revenue in the future. 
But that's how I've approached leadership in my career. And you've very much, as you mentioned, become a marketing leader in a time of huge change at the forefront of disruption from digital, mobile, and, and even like developing partnerships and campaigns around them. Could you give us a sense of your view and perspective around how the role of CMO has evolved? The role of CMO has evolved so much over the past, I'd say, you know, 10 years was an evolution. The last five years has been a major evolution and we're continuing to see it evolve. You know, the CMO and marketing in general has always been considered sort of a fluffy art. Uh, it was very much about making campaigns and creative and messaging. And I think what we've seen over the past definitely five to you know six years has been it's much more data driven. It's about using the data to inform your decisions. So a marketer is not just a marketer anymore. This person has to have strong analytical skills. This person has to have a keen sense of the consumer segment, but they also really have to understand technology. So much of what we're doing today in marketing is rooted in technology. I mean, you can't go anywhere today without having a conversation about generative AI. AI is not new, it's been around, but how are we leveraging it in the marketing space? Uh, that's a core, core skill set that anyone coming into marketing today needs to learn and start to adapt to. I think for the marketers, you know, particularly in the CMO role, um, it's gone from one extreme to another where the marketer is really the heart and soul of the company. So now they're not just the heart and soul of the company, they're also the data brain trust because you're getting all these inputs, whether it's from product, from sales, from research, from consumers, and you are really at the epicenter of digesting that data and being able to turn it into act, it, insights that are actionable for the business to ultimately drive that profit. So the CMO has to really, you know, basically up their game because it's really about how can you show outcomes from the work that you're doing? And yes, there's impact to be having in purpose-driven work, uh, in more socially responsible work, but it's about how are you representing the product? How are you ensuring that that product is connecting with your consumers? And how are you ultimately showcasing the outcome of driving greater revenue and greater profitability for the business? So it's become a much more science-driven as much as it is about the art. But I, I do say to all of my CMO friends and people entering marketing, there is something to be said about those gut instincts. Marketers tend to be some of the most intuitive people. We can read a room. We can understand where people are coming from. And I think one of the key skills that marketers really have to employ during these times of uncertainty is the ability to listen. Listening is probably one of the most underestimated skills. You really must listen. Listen to your consumer. Listen to your stakeholders. Listen to your peers, your leadership. Uh, the more you listen, the more you will learn but that will help better inform the choices and the decisions that you make, not only as a leader, but definitely as a marketer. And I think all too often, we're not listening to people to really learn, but we're listening to react and respond. And you really have to listen more to learn. What advice would you give to leaders who are stepping into a CMO role for the first time? It's a, it's a critical balance of taking your time making sure you really understand the environment that you're walking into. 
you really, really have to understand what are the goals and priorities of the business? What are the goals and priorities of your leadership, whether you're reporting to a CEO or a chief operating officer? Understand what their priorities are. Before you go in making sleeping changes, make sure you understand the business that you're in. Then go about the process of making a plan that's built on small incremental changes. I think everyone loves a gigantic reveal and these major changes. But in this climate, it's important that you have incremental changes because ultimately you're going to make mistakes. And you have to learn from those mistakes and be able to iterate and build more successful outcomes in time. So don't rush. Take your time to really understand the business, understand the stakeholders, understand your customers. But then be bold. Take challenges. Take risks. You're, you know, you're not going to have great rewards without making great risk. But you need to really be able to mitigate any potential downfalls that you have. And I'm a big person. I, I fundamentally believe that you have to have failures in your career, and I've had numerous. But it's all about how do you recover from that failure? How have you managed expectations in that process so that it's not just your failure, but everyone's a part of that journey? Uh, and that's really critical that you build that base of support of allies and backers so that what you choose to do in marketing is not just the CMO did it, but the entire organization is a part of it. They're cheering for it. They're supportive. Um, and ultimately, they understand that your success is their success. And I think speaking to that kind of a connected tissue around your kind of a peers and allies around the business, their success is your success as well. And it's that really that 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 amazing dialogue that can happen. And you mentioned um, being intuitive and the empathy of marketers. That really kind of piqued my interest. And it made me curious to maybe your approach to spotting talent and nurturing talent. How do you help people develop that kind of a, that marketer's intuition and the listen to learn approach? Um, so yeah, so um, please please tell me how you spot and, and nurture talent. You know, I, I've been very fortunate in my career that I have mentored and nurtured a ton of really amazing marketers. And I think for me, it's always been about curiosity. People who are instinctively curious tend to be great marketers because marketing changes and evolves so much. Consumer behaviors change and evolve. Technology is constantly changing. And you have to have a mindset of being curious. You want to know more. You're asking more questions. And you're not simply being fed information, but you're also providing value in that exchange. I learn as much from the people I mentor as I hope that I give to them. And I think when it comes to, you know, developing that talent, it's about giving people the opportunity to really take chances based on that curiosity. It's like if you, I, I have two small kittens and I watch them go through my house and they're curious about everything, the rugs, what's on the wall, what's in the kitchen. And that curiosity always leads them somewhere. And it's really about embracing that. Uh, you may not know what's around the corner, but if you're not curious enough to look, you're not going to find out. And I think when it comes to developing that talent, it's about giving them the tools to be curious and creating a psychologically safe environment where if something does go wrong, it's not the end of the world. I always tell people, particularly in the marketing and advertising space, you know, 
we're, we're not curing cancer and we're not making the world safe for democracy. So these mistakes can all be overcome. It's really all about how you think about it, the mindset in which you approach it, um, but making sure that you take those learnings away from any of those things that don't actually work out the way that you thought that they would. I think that's really powerful, and especially the 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 importance of creating that safe space for people to take the chances, but and learn from them. Yeah, that's critical. And it's critical for everyone at every level that you're in an environment where you have that safe space to not only express yourself, but to learn, to grow, to be vulnerable. Um, you know, the world has evolved so much since the pandemic, and I think our expectations our needs, our wants, and our desires have also changed. And we're at a point now, particularly as leaders in the industry, where we personally have our own change management to deal with. And now we have other people who are coming into work environments, whether it be in hybrid or fully remote, who now look at work very differently. So you really do have to be able to meet them where they are and take them on a journey where they feel comfortable enough to trust you trust in your vision and believe that ultimately that there would be a mutually beneficial relationship. You know, I think before we always talked about the value exchange, you know, you're giving your labor and your work for compensation. I think that structure's totally been disrupted and blown up. So now it's really about how is this mutually beneficial? Not only is it just, you know, compensation, but how am I doing work that's meaningful to me? That's helping me grow as an individual helping the business grow, but it's something that is integrated into my life. It's not a balancing act. It's completely and totally integrated into your life. We talked earlier about the the real evolution in marketing and the role in the CMO. I was curious if I'm thinking around the impacts to B2B marketers. And do you see the kind of evolution of marketing playing out differently for B2B marketers? I would say what's been great about B2B marketing has been you know, we've always spoken about it as you're marketing to a business or to a company. And I think in the evolution of marketing, we now also realize there are still people and individuals in that process. And those individuals still have their own set of feelings, expertise, and fears, and their own motivations and their own agendas. So as much as you're marketing a service or a product to a company, you're also marketing to individuals who want their careers to be successful. They want to make their bosses happy. So I think what has happened with B2B marketing is you've seen it have a lot more feeling to it, uh, a lot more understanding of what it is to make these critical decisions, because it's not just that single individual who says, I'm going to buy, say, this cloud service. That choice ultimately impacts maybe hundreds or thousands of people. So if they make the wrong choice, the stakes are a lot higher. And I think for B2B marketing, we've started to really use the data in more creative ways to really inform the choices and decisions we make when we're marketing to these businesses. We understand the real business challenges and the environments in which they're operating in much, much more acutely than we've ever done it before. Uh, so you're starting to see B2B marketing really kind of have its day. Uh, it's much more thoughtful, much more impactful. Uh, we're seeing a greater leaning into creativity. So a lot of the campaigns you see are, you know, often like, wow, that's really unique and different and thought-provoking. So uh, I love that infusion of emotion, of empathy, of care, 
but also really relating to the B2B business and all of the individuals who are making those choices and decisions. Awesome. I'd like to take about talk about I'd like to talk about partnerships for a moment. Um, and what kind of opportunities you've seen kind of open up through smart partnerships and how companies can identify who a good partner could be. Yeah, I mean partnerships are so key to a business and particularly, you know, every business has a certain life stage to it. And I think for all businesses it's always about scaling. And we think about scaling really like the lens of three things. It's expansion, it's replication, it's collaboration. And what partnerships do is really bring you that opportunity to really grow your business. That collaboration is really about identifying joint needs um, and how to ultimately push forward with solutions and ideas that make sense. And finding a great partner, it's really about aligning on what those goals are, aligning on your shared values. It goes back to, again, the people, the purpose, and the profit. If you have a really great partner, they can move your business forward in a way that you can't do it on your own. Because ultimately, they step into the role of, you know, it's almost like a great marriage, where if you've got a great partner or you're married to someone who's awesome, ultimately, it just enhances everything that you do. And your partner is able to see things that you may not be able to see because your head's just sort of buried in the sand. But the partner is able to have a broader view and say, hey, this is an opportunity that you're missing out on. Or have you thought about if we maybe just shift the tone or the narrative or do these product enhancements, we can uncover new audiences. So partnerships are have always been critical to my success and to all of the businesses that I've worked with because ultimately you're going to go farther with a partner. Uh, and it's really about that investment and that commitment. But Having that collaboration um, with a partner is just critical in this environment today. Um, in whether it's technology, whether it's data, whether it's creativity, whatever it may be, having a great partner is really critical. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. Awesome. Um, I'm thinking about the lines that you led between Google and Deloitte. So these are two huge companies, lots of smart people between them, and both of them have a really strong market presence in general. Um, why do you think partnerships are an important part of the marketing mix for organizations like this that already have individually such a strong presence? And, you know, when I look at the alliance between Deloitte and Google, it's a perfect partnership because Deloitte brings a real understanding of the enterprise space, a real understanding of their customers from every aspect in every business segment. And what Google brings to the surface is just world-class technology, but not necessarily a great understanding of enterprise. And I think that partnership works so well because it's about each acknowledging what the other does incredibly well, but also each acknowledging where the other can be helped. And it's about understanding those frameworks, those processes, and how the work needs to get done for customers. You know, when you think about Google, Google creates amazing technology, but they're not in the service space. They're not about doing sort of the hand-to-hand customer work. 
solving the problems in the day-to-day. What Deloitte does so amazingly well is build relationships with people and understand the core DNA of every business. So when you put two of them together, it's literally an all-star team because they're able to really identify what those business problems are and then ultimately work with Google to deliver best-in-class, world-class technology solutions that drive those businesses forward. And that's really the beauty of a great partnership. When you can drive just outsized outcomes that are not only profitable, but that are cutting edge, that are leading the industry forward, that are ultimately redefining how an industry works. Those are truly disruptive because what you're seeing today, whether it's cloud, whether it's AI, creativity, data, are really resetting the stage for how we're going to work in the future. Uh, and that's that's just an exciting space to be in. And you get to work with some of the best people on the planet uh, and learn some of the most amazing things about where technology is today, where it's going in the future, and what all of the possibilities are. Fab, that sounds like it was a, a really um, exciting project to, to, to lead. Um, I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier, Sharon, around marketing really being the epicenter of the organization because you're pulling in data from product, from customer, from sales, and you're really kind of a, they convert, it could be seen as like the heart and soul of, of the organization. It feels like marketing, I'm not a marketer by background, but it feels like marketing's in this really interesting intersection in the organization, this epicenter of really, um, and, and connecting with so many different parts of the organization in a way that other areas probably are quite siloed. Um, to what extent do you think marketing can be a catalyst for wider business transformation? Because I'm really curious about the advice to you would give to leaders who want to make change happen in their organization and how they can work with marketing to really um, make change happen faster. I'm so happy you asked me that question. I really do believe marketing can lead the charge on a change in an organization. You know, I spent a lot of my career working on digital transformations. And what marketing has the ability to do is not only see the entire landscape of the business, but the ability to do more testing and learning. When you think about research or product and design, you know, where years of work has to go into that. And I think what marketing can do is set the stage where those incremental changes that I talked about can occur. And I think for every CEO, you really need to think of marketers and your CMO as a real partner in that change and driving the organization forward. Once again, it's not fluffy. It's really based on data and science and really good leadership practices to help a company move forward. And I, I think for anyone who's thinking about a massive transformation in their business, marketing has to be a component of it because it's not just about your customers, but it's also about your internal stakeholders. How are you messaging it to them? How are you managing them? How are you helping them through the change? Because we're all humans. And the last thing that any of us actually want is change. We become very comfortable. So if we don't have someone who's really a trusted guide and an advisor in that process, the chances are it won't be that successful. Most transformations don't fail because of the technology or the strategy. They fail because people put in barriers. People don't embrace it and they throw up their hands and they go, we're not going to do it. So they make it difficult. 
if you don't employ marketing to help you with those communications, help you with that strategy, and to help you really look around the corner to see what all the potential impacts are, you really miss. And I think we've seen lots of organizations make choices or choose to go down certain paths where you're like, marketer wasn't involved in that because you've missed out on what your customer really wants, what the market is doing. You haven't looked at your own data and insights to ensure that the choice that you've made is putting you in the right perspective. And so I think that's really critical that, you know, I think marketing is probably the biggest secret weapon of all organization. And it should be something that every CEO is looking at much more critically when they're, you know, in their board meetings and going, how does, what is the marketing perspective on this? How should we be approaching it? And not just from a totally business perspective, but a full 360 as an organization with our people, with our partners, with our vendors um, to drive the impact that we're looking for. Are there any lessons that you've had as a leader that you can share with our audience or even perhaps just great advice that you've received? You know, over my career, I've had lots of lessons. I think um, you learn the most when you have those failures and you're not successful. I think one of the most important things that I've learned as a leader, and, you know, I mentioned, sir, is about listening uh, and having empathy for the people that you work with. Because I think often we go into roles and our own egos can take hold and we think, oh, I know better. And you really have to take the time to understand the full backstory. The same way we say every person has a story, every business has a story. There are reasons for the choices and the decisions that have been made. And as a marketer and as a leader coming in, it is really incumbent upon you to figure out what those stories are because all of those stories leave a certain amount of residue. And when you come in, you will have to manage it. And the choices that you make will definitely be impacted by what that residue is uh, and understanding how to ultimately incorporate it into your strategy and into the planning that you have. But most importantly, how not to overshoot. I think we all come in and we're very ambitious and we're eager to see change and, you know, want to make things move fast. You have to make things move fast, but not by breaking them, but actually by fixing them. So you really do have to take the time to listen, go through the data, know the story, understand why the business is where it is and what you can bring to the table to help improve it. But don't ever do it alone. I think that's often the mistake. Um, you know, CMOs sort of put on our superhero capes and we think we're going to take charge and do it. No, that's wrong. That is probably the biggest lesson I've learned. You have to have real, real alignment and support with the other senior leaders and other peers in the business. You are not going to be successful alone. Uh, and that is critical. How would you describe your style of leadership? Um, I'd say my style of leadership is... Um, collaborative by nature. Um, I really try to lead from a place of let's review all the facts and the data that we have and make a decision based on that. But let's not use it to the point of it impedes our creativity or our ability to just go outside the box. Sometimes the answers aren't in the box. Sometimes they're just on the edge of the box. 
uh, or they might be a mile away from the box. Um, but I'm a big believer as a leader, you have to see outside your own walls. You have to be very much aware of the broader landscape, broader world, and how people are responding and reacting. How do people really see your business? How do your customers think of you? Are they loyal? Um, do they think of you as providing great service? Are you creative? Are you innovative? Are you consistent? Um, you have to really infuse that into that into whatever you do as a leader. And for me as a leader, I'm really big on open and transparent communication. One of the things that I've learned the most in my career is that I want to be led by someone that I believe in, that I trust, that I believe has high moral integrity. That is, I'm uncompromising on that. Um, and I want my teams to feel that way about me, that I'm someone that they can trust, they can believe in, that I have high integrity. Um, I think there's, you could always make money, but you can't always make the right decision. And it's important that you really put forth your best efforts to make the right decision. And when you don't, you're honest about it and you own that. Not, that didn't work the way I thought I did. Uh, that, I think, is so critical as a leader today. Uh, but that's my leadership style. And also, huge doses of humor. I don't take myself too seriously. I think people sort of get, no, I don't take myself too seriously. I'm always willing to laugh at myself and just be human. We have good days, we have bad days. So, and we can all laugh and, you know, share at me every once in a while. Every once in a while, <laughs> every day. Um, it was lovely to hear about how you want your team to to see you and how important that is. Um, how do you think about and test the culture and the behaviors in the teams that you lead? I've had so many conversations with people about culture. And um, I heard someone define it as, you know, culture is, are the beliefs we share, the language we use, and the behaviors we display. You really have to look at all three of those things. How does the team talk about work? How do they talk about their peers, their leaders? Um, how are they displaying it? And you can always tell when there's tension in a culture or there's an uneasiness. Once again, you've got to listen. If you just listen, it'll be revealed to you. And I really do ensure whatever I'm asking of my team, I'm also willing to give. If I'm, a, if I'm fearful or something or I'm not sure that we're making the right decision, I will open dialogue on it. Uh, I'm not a person who believes that as a leader you have all the right answers. No. The right answers are going to be found when we come together and actually ideate and collaborate and throw things around and think about it. Because everyone brings their own unique set of experiences, skills, and perspective to the workplace. And a culture is really born from acknowledging that, valuing it, um, and ensuring that you aren't doing things that betray it. You know, we're in a period now where many companies are experiencing reductions in workforce. And the management of that is very difficult because it is very personal. People lose their jobs impacts their families, their livelihood. As a leader, the most important thing you can do is acknowledge that people are human and some will take it better than others. Some will be utterly devastated and destroyed. And as a leader, you have to acknowledge that. You have to hold space for people to feel all of those feelings and for you to ultimately share where those decisions come from. 
you know, as I said, a business is about the people, the purpose, and the profit. Well, if the profit's not there, there are hard decisions that have to be made that will ultimately impact the people. But it shouldn't impact the purpose of the company. A company that's doing the right thing, that has stayed true to their mission, even in the worst of times, can still prevail as long as they're being transparent about it. And we've seen great examples of companies that have been transparent and how it has allowed them to move forward. But we've also seen examples of when companies have little or no disregard for their number one asset, which is the people. And they haven't taken careful and thoughtful means to communicate and care for those people. You know, as a leader, you really are almost a caretaker for other humans. And it's important that you always bring that to bear. Um, I think it's just your humanity is the most important thing in all of those situations. We are coming to um, the end of our time together, but we've got a few quick fire questions to 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 end with. So um, where do you go to feed your creative brain? Well, I love art and interior design. So museums, uh, interior design shows, I will travel. I just came back from Paris. Uh, those always feed my creativity. Uh, but then I do a ton of people watching coffee shops, just seeing what people are reading, what they're doing, uh, what they're talking about. Those things always fuel my creativity. Oh, fan. And what's your go-to website when you're procrastinating? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I, I, I mean, I would probably say it's not so much a website, but it's probably social media. When I'm procrastinating, I'm on Instagram or TikTok. <laughs> uh, I'm always learning something new or tons of inspirational quotes. Um, it's always fun and, you know, it's, it's a great way to connect with so many different perspectives in the universe. You know, we, we're such a much more connected world than we've ever been because of the internet. So now I mean, you can see what's going on in all sorts of parts of the world or what people are doing or thinking about or even feeling. So uh, that that's probably when I procrastinate, I always do that. I'm always like on Instagram watching videos or <laughs> tell me what was the best bit of your Paris trip I got to see Usher in concert oh night in Paris and it was amazing amazing Paris is always wonderful it's it's a city that you know not only is it beautiful from the architecture and the art but there is just such a joie de vie for it. you know everyone always looks wonderful in Paris they always have the best outfits and you're like I never thought of pairing that together. I will tell you, the must-buy of the fall is a striped sweater. Perhaps navy and cream. Everyone's wearing it. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, that was probably the best part of my trip. Top tip. You had it here. Um, Sharon, if you were going to be a brand, what brand would you be? If I were going to be a brand, what brand would I be? Of an existing brand or a brand that I made up? An existing brand. I would say if I were going to be a brand today... Um, I would probably be Victoria's Secret. Here's why. Victoria's Secret is in the middle of a major transformation. And what they're doing and how they're thinking about empowering women through lingerie is pretty incredible. Um, you know, it's a longstanding brand that's obviously had some bumps in the road. But I love the way that they're coming back. And I love the way they're thinking about women in a much more inclusive manner. 
uh, bringing back all of the iconic supermodels, but also thinking about the role that women play. Uh, women, you know, we are the ultimate multitaskers. We carry so much of the world on our shoulders. So I'm, I'm really excited about what they're doing, but that'd probably be the brand I choose today. Last two. Um, what's your chronotype? So are you a morning person or an evening person or perhaps somewhere in between? Uh, I promise you somewhere in between. I, I've been known to get up really early if something's really on my mind, but I can also burn the night oil. I, I can... Uh, I'm, I'm, I laugh sometimes because um, our cats can sleep all day, but at night they go crazy. And sometimes you get you get this spark of creative energy in the middle of the night. I can wake up and I, I'll always have a notebook next to my bed and I'll jot down an idea. We should do this tomorrow. Um, so it's it's kind of a, mid, a bit of bit of both. I mean, you have to discipline yourself to be up because I think you can accomplish so much more early in the day. But at the same time, just stoking my creative fires tends to be at night. And last question is something we ask everybody on the podcast. Um, on the scale of one to ten, Sharon Harris, how weird are you? <laughs> Ooh, I would probably say I'm probably like a seven and a half. Uh, I think for most people, I present as very calm and, you know, polished. But not at home, really. I'm probably a little <laughs> Uh, then people would think, and uh, you know, you take off the glasses, and you know, there's <laughs> other things that are going on. But I embrace the weird because out of the weird comes the fun, the love of life, the friendships, um, the surprising adventures. I love a great adventure, and I'm the person who fundamentally believes I'll say yes, and I will try almost. Amazing! Thank you so much for your time, Sharon. Thank you for having me. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.